Hey, everybody, a blessed 2019 to you. Now, this is, I, I know this for 2019 to be your best year. It needs to be your best year spiritually. And for that to happen, we really need to know who we are in Christ. There is nothing more important. You know, over 300, 300, excuse me, 130 times in the New Testament, it talks about in Christ, in him, and in whom. It's talking about who you are. And it's so important we find out who we are in Christ, what we have, and what we can do. So that's where I want to go today. But to uh, start out, to get us there, uh, I want to take us back to the book of Judges in your, in your Bible. For those of you that still bring a Bible or are looking, uh, it's the seventh book in your Bible. And what is happening again and again throughout this book that takes place for about 350 years, maybe almost 400 years, is the children of Israel start they serving God. And then they forsake the Lord. And when they forsake the Lord, it ends up their enemies come in and oppress them. And then they call out to the Lord and God sends them a deliverer and they come back to God. And then they go through this cycle again and again and again and again. So they have forsaken the Lord. They're being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Midianites, the Bible says that they come in and they steal everything. Everything in sight, they take the crops and the Israelites are hiding. They're living in, in caves and in dens. And they cry out to God. God sends them a prophet and they listen to the prophet. And it brings us to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree that's in Oprah. Now, this is not Oprah one on TV. But the angel of the Lord shows up and is sitting under this tree. Now, we've talked about this before, but when the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, it's talking about a Christophany or an Old Testament appearance of Jesus shows up. How many of you know when, when trouble shows up, Jesus tends to show up? See, when the, when the three Hebrew children were thrown in the fiery furnace, the fourth man showed up in the furnace. And as the king said, he looks like the son of God. Well, he was. They said, it goes on and it says, and while his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon is going to be kind of like our, our hero in this story. But he's afraid and he's hiding from the enemy and he's got some wheat and where he should be is at a threshing floor, threshing that wheat getting the chaff off. But instead, he's in a wine press. He's hiding from the enemy. He's doing what he should be doing, but he's doing it full of fear and in the wrong place. This is kind of like the modern day equivalent of taking a bath in the backseat of your car. How many of you know you're supposed to take a bath, but not in the backseat of the car? Wrong place. So he's afraid. He's hiding. And, and honestly, he is living way below God's standard. What God, where God wants him is not where he's living. Uh, Psalms 31 says this, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those that fear you. 
I mean, God wants your life to be blessed. Not that there's not going to be obstacles and opposition and giants, but God wants your life to be blessed and he wants you to go from victory to victory. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him, verse 12, and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I personally think that he probably looked around and thought, he's talking to somebody else because that's not me. I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm here. I'm hiding. I'm afraid. Now, he is not acting like the person that God says that he is. In fact, the truth is he doesn't even believe what the angel of the Lord is telling him. Now, when God talks to you, he doesn't look at your situation and your circumstances. He looks in a different realm. You may be looking in the natural realm, but God's looking in the spiritual realm and he's talking to you from your destiny. He's talking to you from who you are in Christ, whether you know who you are or don't know who you are. Well, Gideon sees himself as insignificant. He sees himself full of fear. He sees himself as forsaken by God. He sees himself and everybody around him as failures. They're not walking in victory at all. So I want to talk to you today about how to be the person that God says that you are. In James chapter one, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away immediately and forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So here's what this verse is telling you and me, that God's word is a mirror. And when you look in God's word, you will find out who you are. You'll find out what belongs to you. You'll find out what Jesus purchased for you. You will find out the authority that you have in what you can do when you look in the mirror of God's word. That's where you're going to find out who you really are. Now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if anyone, that's you, is in Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So when you become a Christian, you become a new creation on the inside. You look the same. Your mind still works the same. But on the inside, you are totally different. You're a new creature, a new creation. One translation actually says a new species of being that never was before. Now, when you come and you are in Christ, you're new. And you are so new that you need God to introduce you to yourself. The only way you're going to find out who you are is from God, and he's going to tell you who you are in the word. So when you read the word, you look there and you see who you are. You're forgiven. You've been washed in the blood. 
You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. You begin to see who you are when you look in the word. Now, the world is going to give you one report about who you are. And God is going to give you a different report about who you are. The world is going to give you a report about that old person in the natural. God's going to give you a report about the new person in the spiritual. So Isaiah said, who has believed our report? Because God's report is going to be different about who you are than the world's report. The, the world of medical profession, professional may give you a report about your physical condition. And the report that they give you is going to be true in the natural. But God has another report. And by the way, he said, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? God's arm is revealed to the people that believe God's report. The, the doctor's report may be one thing, but God's report is he will forgive all your iniquities. He'll heal all your diseases. And he himself bore your sickness, carried your disease. And by his stripes, you were healed. And his name is the Lord who heals you. Now, if you keep looking in there and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking, you're going to see yourself differently. Somebody says, well, I'm discouraged. Yeah, but if you look in here, you're going to find out that you don't need to stay discouraged. God said, be strong, be of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed for I'm with you wherever you go. You don't need to be discouraged. He said he will always lead you in triumph in Christ. You say to somebody, how are you? And they say, well, under the circumstances, I'm doing pretty good. And I think, well, what are you doing under there? Because the Bible says that he's raised us up together with Christ and made us seated together in Christ in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. And I begin to keep looking, keep looking into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, the spiritual mirror, and I'm going to begin to see who I am in Christ, who I am on the inside. Somebody says, well, I'm just afraid. I'm, I'm fearful. I'm in dread of what's coming. Yeah, but the Bible says he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Somebody says, yeah, but I've been bound. I've been bound. I've been bound for 20 years with the same addiction. But that's why God said again, he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of self-control. That's why the Bible tells you in Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches you to say no to ungodly worldly desires and live an upright godly life in this present wicked world. See, the God's grace enables you to say no. The world says you're addicted, but the Bible says you're free. You've got dominion and you can say no, that those chains will fall off in Jesus' name. But we gotta keep looking in the mirror. Keep looking in the word of God and it will show you 
who you are in Christ. It will show you what belongs to you in Christ. It will show you what you can do in Christ. The only place you will ever find out who you really are is by looking into the perfect law of liberty, the spiritual mirror of the word of God. And it will show you who you are in Christ. And Gideon said to him, my Lord, if God is with us, why have all these things happened to us? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the enemies. Now, instead of listening to what the angel of the Lord has just said, he says, yeah, but look around. There's just no miracles. There's no blessings. We're oppressed. We're the tail and not the head. God doesn't care. God's forsaken us. God has, is punishing us for all this stuff. But the truth is something completely different. You may look at your circumstances and see one thing, but if you look into the mirror of God's word, that mirror says you're blessed. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You're a new creature in Christ. You're above and not beneath. You're seated with him in heavenly places, far above principality and power. Every demon is under your feet. You've washed in the blood. You're a king and a priest to God, your father. You have authority in Christ. In fact, Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. See, you begin to see yourself differently when you look in the word. Now, it says you've got to keep looking. You've got to keep looking and not be a forgetful hearer. What you see, what you hear, when you look, you can't forget that and live the victorious life that God wants for you or live with the, the provision that Christ purchased for us. Verse 14, the Lord turned and said to him, go in this might of yours and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites Heaven, I sent you. See, you are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. You have what God says you have. You are a new creature in Christ. And again, you are so new that God needs to introduce you to yourself. You are only going to find out what your inheritance is by looking in the mirror of God's word, seeing who he says that you are, what belongs to you. Don't read it and forget. Don't read it and disregard it. In fact, meditate on it. Don't be a forgetful hearer. Somebody said, well, I'm depressed. Yeah, but the, the mirror says the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're going to get one report from the world, but a totally different report from the Lord. Totally different. Somebody said, well, I'm addicted. I'm a loser. I'm just ordinary. Those are all the things that were going through the mind of Gideon. But Jesus, the angel of the Lord, told him something completely, completely different. And what the angel of the Lord told him was his destiny. It was true. It was what God was planning to do with his life. And literally, he had to cooperate, just like you and I need to cooperate. Verse 15, and he said, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? What can I do? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So here's what he said. The, the angel of the Lord says, you're going to deliver Israel. Go in this strength. I'm with you. And he says, oh, you just don't understand. 
See, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. And our tribe is the most insignificant of all the tribes. In my father's house, we are the most insignificant in Manasseh. And in all my father's house, I am the most insignificant. Basically, he's saying this. I am from the Barney Five tribe. And I am Barney Five. And, and God, you might be able to use somebody else and this would work. But with me, it's not going to work. Now, God does not look for your ability. He is not impressed by your education, by your intelligence. He's not impressed by your money. He's not impressed by your position. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, it's saying if you're just looking at people's pedigree, if you're just looking at their natural ability, you are going to miss it. You know, people will look at you and think, well, I knew you when you were getting drunk and I knew you when you were doing this and I knew you when you were doing that. Listen, God does not consult your past to determine your future. He doesn't care where you've been or what you've done. First Corinthians chapter one. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many of the courting, not many wise according to the flesh. God's not impressed with your smarts. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So God chooses the foolish, the weak, and the base. He's not looking for the A student. He's not looking for somebody with a great pedigree. In fact, what God wants to do is he wants to find somebody so that when he uses them, they know it's not them. And everybody looks and said, that had to be God. Uh, uh, my mom's in heaven now. But I remember when she looked at me and she said, you know, you ain't that smart. <laughs> she said, it's just God. It's just God. Amen. Amen. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. He needed to understand that he was who the angel of the Lord said he was, that he could do what that angel said that he could do. And you are who God says you are. You have what God says you have, and you can do what God says that you can do. But you need to begin to agree with God. That's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's why David said, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. He began to say it. Now, here's the thing. You look into that perfect law of liberty and you just keep looking and it will change the way you think about yourself. It will change the way you see the giants, the circumstances, the problems that are in front of you. Proverbs 4 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so 
are you? So what the word of God does is we keep on looking in that mirror. We begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. We begin to believe that we have what he says we have. We can do what he says we can do. And we are who he says that we are. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull. The second bull is seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down the wooden image that is beside it and then sacrifice to the Lord. Now, the Bible says that he obeyed God, but he did it at night because he was afraid. So in the morning, everybody looks and there's the altar to Baal, the false God, and it's torn down and there's another altar next to it to the Lord. And they can see that there's been an offering. And they look around and they say, who slept in? And they said, Gideon. They say, he must be the one who did it because he did it at night. And they, they grabbed cold Gideon. And his father stood up and said, look, they wanted to kill him for knocking down Baal's altar. And his father said, look, if Baal's so powerful, let Baal take care of him. Let Baal take care of him. Now, here's what I want you to catch, though. What God had him do, he was going to be, he was going to lead Israel. But what God had him do was start at his house. He started at home. Listen, if what you've got, if you got the real deal and it's working in you, it works at home. And if it doesn't work at home, do not export. <laughs> Once it starts working at home, you can export. But he had to get, he had to get his family right first thing. I don't know if how many of you will remember this. God calls Moses and says, go to Egypt. And the Bible says Moses is on the way to Egypt. And it says in the Lord stopped him and sought to kill him. Sought to kill him. Moses. And uh, the Bible it's, it's quite an interesting story. He has two sons that are with him and his wife. And they circumcise his two sons. And then. He goes to deliver Israel. Circumcision was the sign that they were part of God's family, part of God's covenant. And he was going to straighten out Israel and deliver Israel, but his own house wasn't in order. And he had to get his own house in order before he could be used to deliver the people of Israel. So we start at home. And if it's not working at home, keep working it until it's working at home. It's where it's supposed to start. And if it's really working, how many of you know the people that are closest to you, they're going to see it. They're going to see it. So um, a lot of times what people want to do is they want to, in their mind, imagine what they would do. I, I talked to a, a pastor a while back and uh, what he would do is uh, on Saturday evening, he would find something online. He'd listen to some other pastor and take the notes and he'd share that on Sunday morning. And then I, I shared with him, you know, how I prepare. And, uh, and he says, well, he says, you know, if I had a church of a thousand people, I'd do that too. But how many of you know if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And if you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with much. What you do with little, you'll do with much. I remember a while back, some, it's really been quite a few years now, 
fellow came up to me and he says, you know, I've, I had a prophet come and tell me I'm supposed to go to Africa and I'm going to be a great evangelist when I get to Africa. Well, I, I first asked him, well, I said, what are you doing now? And he says, well, you know, I, I go to church every once in a while. I said, well, like, are, are you working in the youth department or are you working in the children's ministry or are you doing something? He says, no, no, no. I said, like, are you greeting? Are you doing anything? No. And here's what he thought. He thought he could take a plane flight to Africa. And when he got to Africa, he would be a different man. Listen, plane flights don't change you. They don't change you. You're going to be the same person in India or Africa or Europe or South America as you are to where you're at today. It's not going to change you. That's why you start where you are and you start at home. <laughs> and he said to me, shall I go? And I told him I recommended he didn't. But if he did, I told him, take that guy with you so you know when to come home. <laughs> How many of you know if God's going to tell you something, he can talk to you. He has your email. He can get through. So Gideon blows the trumpet and says, we're going to war and 32,000 people show up. And God looks at that and says, hey, that's way too many. If I give you victory with 32,000 people, there's 130,000 of the Midianites. He said, but if, if you have 32,000 people, you're just going to think it's you. So God said, uh, I want you to preach a sermon. Get up and preach and say, everybody who's afraid, go home. So he did. And 22,000 people went home. But, but here's, here's what, what God knows. Fear is contagious. Just like faith is contagious. In fact, when God told them to do this, he said, you tell the who is afraid to go home, lease in the battle. Others see you afraid, one that's afraid and run, and they also turn and run in fear. So just like faith is contagious, fear is contagious. In fact, one of the reasons you should be in church is because faith is contagious. But he had 10,000 left and God said, that's too many. And he took him over to a spring. In fact, we'll be there at that spring in about six weeks. It's called, today they call it Gideon's Spring. And God said, I'm going to test the people there. So said, go, Gideon said, go get a drink. And the people go and get a drink. And most of them got down on two knees to drink. And some of them put their face in like a dog and just drank because they were thirsty out there in that desert, that Negev area. But there were 300 who took that water in their hand with one knee and just kept drinking and kept looking around. Those were the most vigilant. The New Testament says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And God says those 300 that kept on watching stayed on just one knee and we're ready for battle we're ready in case the enemy showed up he said just keep those and I'll deliver all of Israel with you and those 300 you know that's how you and I are supposed to live today how many of you know you have a life to live but as you do you need to be sober and you need to be vigilant you need to be looking because your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour so he took the 300, this is hilarious, 
and he surrounds the camp of the Midianites, 130,000 strong. He gave each one a torch, a pitcher, and said, do what I do is what we're going to do. He said, you're going to break the pitcher. You're going to lift up the light and you're going to shout the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And they did. And the Bible says when that happened, that the enemy, God struck him with confusion and the enemy began to attack each other and they destroyed each other. Now, I don't think it's a stretch in any way to recognize that that clay pot represents our clay vessel that needs to be broken, that the torch represents the gospel and the shout represents what you and I say with our mouth. We need to begin to speak out what the word of God declares about us. Now, let me, let me, give, me, give me three or four more minutes here to close this up. I was reading a book very recently and I wanted to just give you a little quote. It says, when God wants something to happen, he speaks it. God said it and it was so. It says, uh, in, studies indicate that the average person talks to themselves about 50,000 times a day and that 80% of your self-talk is negative. They don't like me. I'm not cut out for a lead role. I'll never get a promotion. I'm a terrible speaker. I'm always late. I could never get organized. Negative, negative, negative. But you know what? If you're looking into the perfect law of liberty, it's going to change the way you see yourself. You're going to see yourself as more than a conqueror. You're going to see yourself with self-control, not with the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It will change the way that you see yourself. Isaiah 41, 9, you whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions, is what God says. You are my servant, I've chosen you, and I have not cast you away. You are my servant, I've chosen you, and I will not cast you away. You may say, yeah, but my, my spouse, they cheated on me. But God says, I've chosen you, you're my servant, and I will not cast you away. You see, I was sexually abused, but God says, I've chosen you. You're my servant, and I will not cast you away. You said, I've made huge mistakes in my life. But God says, I've chosen you, you're my servant, and I will not cast you away. You say, I've done terrible things. But God says, I've chosen you, you're my servant, and I will not cast you away. You say, I've let everybody in my life down. But God says, I've chosen you, you're my servant. I will not cast you away. You say, I'm a failure. God says, no, you're not. You're my servant. I've chosen you and I will not cast you away. And if you keep looking in that perfect law of liberty, the guilt, the condemnation, the dread of this world will fall off you as you begin to see who you are in Christ, what belongs to you, God's love for you. Everything is going to change. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new and they are new but you've got to look not at what the world says but at what the word of God says it is a mirror 
and it will show you who you are in Christ. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here and you would say, Pastor, I am not right with God. I once lived for the Lord, but I've drifted away. Or you may say this. I just don't know for sure where I am. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a Christian. The Bible says, know that you have everlasting life. See, we are not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. The Bible says, know that you have. See, you can know you're forgiven, know you're right with God, and know that you're on your way to heaven. In fact, if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. And this is for you. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, if you're not where you should be, I want you to lift your hand. If you say, I want to get right with God, I want you to lift your hand. And this is what's going to happen. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. That's one. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I'm going to give him all of my heart, all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two, once you get ready, as you lift that hand, you're saying today, I am receiving Jesus and the forgiveness that he has for me. He's going to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to live for him. And he is going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, if that's you, just lift your hand. Lift it up high. Say, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. And that hand. And that hand. And that hand. Are there others? Thank you. In the balcony. God bless you. Somebody else. Thank you. Way in the back. God bless you. Others, include me, Pastor. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Somebody's just standing up. All right. Now, would everybody please stand? I want everybody to look right at me. If you lifted your hand, I need your attention. Would you please move to the aisle that's next to you, nearest you? Bring whatever you brought. Bring the person that you came here with. But I want you to come right down here, and God is going to meet us right here. We are going to pray in just a moment. And when we say amen, your past is going to be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, please, please make your way down. We will wait for you because you're coming. You know, Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is literally the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. Jesus tells the story about leaving the 90 and 9 to go for the 1. You're important to God. He loves you, and it is important what you're doing right now. In fact, this is the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Now, this is a prayer that I prayed 45 years ago, and it is still working. And in 45 years from today, if Jesus tarries, this prayer is still going to be working for you. This is what it says. It's Romans 10, verse 13. Whosoever, that means you. Right? The devil always tries to get us to look at our past, what we've done wrong, and says, you don't qualify. But God says this will work for whosoever. Right? 
And it says, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise. We'll be saved. All you do is pray this prayer from your heart. So I'm going to ask everybody to take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. It's where our help comes from. And I want you to make these words your own. Pray this from your heart. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's coming again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for you every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that you accept me, that I'm forgiven. My past is gone and that you make me new on the inside. I'm a part of your family today and forever in Jesus name. Amen.